Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Today's scripture is sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the word of God. Morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Brittany, and you have just witnessed the shortest scripture reading in all of UBC ever, right? (laughs) Have we ever had a passage that short? I could say the sermon is now over. It's just as short, but I won't. Uh, Let's begin this time with prayer. Or actually, I should say, let us continue in the prayer that we have already begun. God, for this time, we give you thanks for this community. We give you thanks for our scriptures. We give you thanks. Open our eyes and ears and heart and mind that all we do might be centered upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, back in the summer before sixth grade, I was super excited about beginning junior high, and I was super nervous about one thing in particular, gym class. Not so much the gym class, but the locker room experience that had to happen before gym class. Well, I was really excited about the opportunity to get to wear an orange t-shirt and navy shorts, go Bulldogs, my school mascot, I was nervous about having to get naked in front of my peers every single day. Anybody worry about that when you were in sixth grade? Yeah. I can remember the, the day, the first day, we, or the first day that we were going to be changing into our clothes. We had received our lockers the day before, we knew the routine, and now we had to change. Now, I will say that I had mastered the art of like changing my shirt and putting the other one on like so that nobody could see your business. You know what I'm saying, right? I had mastered that. What was really the most nerve-wracking was the thought of the showering at the end of gym class. So I, I can remember that day, all of my friends, the 30 of us girls in the locker room were like slowly untying our shoes, kind of looking around, who's going to go first, quickly put on the shirt and do that thing in our shorts and go out to gym class. And at the end of the gym class, the day of reckoning was here. I remember waiting and looking around and seeing what people were going to do. And three brave souls walked to the showers, naked, just naked, and turned them on and showered. And the rest of us all stood there, sort of mouth agape, (laughs) and hurriedly put our clothes on and, and left. 
And in that moment, we made a pact. It was sort of a, an unspoken pact. But we decided that we would never work hard in PE so that we would not perspire, so that we would not need to shower. Anybody else have that sort of unwritten pact in there? Yes, yes. Trauma, y'all, right? To be naked in front of other people. Naked. Now, this trauma, it, it wasn't as bad. I'm going to show you just a quick clip of um, somebody who really doesn't like to be naked, if you guys want to watch this. Have you guys ever seen that show? Yeah. So, none of us are probably never nudes. <laughs> Or though may, I was kind of looking on BuzzFeed, and apparently it is a thing, like people were sharing. None of us are probably never nudes, but I would, I don't even know where to go from here, sorry. <laughs> but I would dare say that m many of us are uncomfortable being naked around other people, in a locker room, in, um, maybe you're, uncomfortable being naked in your house by yourself. I don't know. We can talk about that afterwards if you want. <laughs> but nakedness, uh, I think the reason many of us are uncomfortable with it is because it is connected to our bodies, and there's lots of shame connected to our bodies because we see these perfect images of bodies you know, in magazines and on TV. We, um, maybe we're not comfortable with our bodies. Maybe we're not comfortable with our body parts. We, we feel like they don't belong with who we are. Maybe we don't like the shape of our body. Um, there's, there's probably something we hate about us. So we carry a good deal of shame with nakedness. But that's not, that's actually not our natural state, right? My, so my friend, I, uh, I have lots of Southern friends because I went to seminary in the South. And, and I have a friend that uh, I noticed one day she was saying something like, and such and such was naked. And I was like, what is, wait, you said naked? Is that, is that different than naked? And she said, yes, naked is a state of not having clothes on. Naked is the state of not having clothes on and doing something that you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> right? <laughs> so we, we somehow, I think, there's shame involved in nakedness, right? And somehow I think we, we connect our nakedness with shame. We're scared of that state. And now you know, so this sermon series that we're in is called Naked. Um, I can never remember the subtext. Naked, vulnerable. getting vulnerable with God. Thank you. So you know that part of what I'm talking about is physical nakedness, my story of the locker room. But really what I'm talking about is spiritual nakedness. Really what I'm talking about is how are we vulnerable with God? And uh, many of us, because we're not comfortable being naked, because we have somehow learned that, if you think about it, babies come into this world naked. It is a natural state. Babies love to be naked. As soon as they figure out how to work their fingers, they are trying to take their socks off. I think they'd try to take their shirt and pants off if they could, but like, most of them aren't dexterous enough to... They, they take their hats off. They love bath time. And yet somehow 
when we get older, that, that joy of being naked turns into shame and fear and uncomfortableness and awkwardness, right? And I think the same is true for our spiritual journey. We start out free and, and, and connected to God, and then we don clothing of insecurity, an armor that we put on, and we have trouble connecting with God. So what does it mean to be naked before God? What does it mean to be fully vulnerable before God? How do we let go of all of the stuff in our life that, that feels like an armor and, and keeps God out? How do we let go of all of that so we can be fully naked before God? Now, I will say it's a mindset because in reality, Scripture reminds us that we cannot go anywhere or do anything or be anywhere without God knowing, right? God is all-knowing and knows us. The Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and settle on the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. So this getting naked, getting vulnerable with God, it's not really about like, oh, we really want God to know us more. It's about us being open to knowing that God wants to know us more, if that makes sense. And we do this because God is naked, and God is vulnerable with us. That's we saying, I need a little more Jesus. That's, that story is Je- Jesus. We, we, we worship an incarnational God, a God who was born a baby naked and vulnerable. And so God has been vulnerable with us always. And what does it mean for us to be vulnerable with God? So as we begin this sermon series, we're going to talk about it as nakedness, but through the lens of prayer. Prayer is something that a lot of people feel really judgmental about themselves about. I don't pray good enough. I don't have the right words. I don't pray often enough. Right? I don't know what I'm doing. And so over the course of the sermon series, we want to open you up to the possibilities of prayer and to define prayer, hopefully in a way that will be life-giving, and to help you craft a more intimate and vulnerable relationship with God. So... I'm going to offer a definition of prayer in a minute, but before I do that, I want you to turn to somebody that you're comfortable with, because this isn't, I mean, this is heart, head, heart stuff, and, and it could be hard. Turn to somebody you're comfortable with, or somebody that um, maybe you don't know, but you wouldn't mind sharing, um, or turn to yourself in journal, and I just want you to ask this one question. Uh, what do you want to change about your prayer life? Another way of thinking about it is, what sort of insecurities do you have about your prayer life? So I'm just going to give you a minute, and you can talk out loud during this time. Thank you. 
Are y'all just getting warmed up, or can we sort of, yeah? Hold those ideas now. Um, we're going to come back. I'm going to ask you a different question that's kind of based on that question in a little bit. So hold that idea. Um, and you can, well, and you know, if this conversation's awesome, you can always grab coffee with somebody afterwards, right? Continue on. But hold that idea. I want to begin this sermon series uh, with a definition of prayer that we will, I hope, come back to and visit on a weekly basis that will be the sort of fr framework, groundwork of, of what it means to be in prayer as a people. Um, and this definition comes uh, from one of my teachers in seminary, Dr. Roberta Bondi, in her book, To Pray as God Loves, which is an excellent, excellent book if you are interested in diving deeper into the life of prayer. In her book, the, uh, in, in that book, she offers this as a definition of prayer. Prayer is a shared life with God. Now, I remember when she, I was sitting in class and she offered that definition and I thought she was sort of taking the easy way out. Um, because my idea of prayer up until that point was that it had to be probably, like the best form of prayer would be on my knees and... Um, I should be like this, and I should be fervently talking to God, right? Instead, she invited me into this idea of, of sharing life with God. And I, I remember this story she told about uh, her husband and their morning breakfast routine. And I don't remember all the details because it's actually a really mundane, boring story. But she talked about maybe one of them was eating oatmeal, and the other was eating toast. And maybe one of them was reading the newspaper, and the other was reading a magazine or a book. And for a half an hour, they sat there with no words, sitting in each other's presence, sharing life together. And she talked about that being like prayer, like being in relationship with God. That that idea is, it was difficult to grasp because I thought prayer was so much more uh, rote and defined, that it had to look a certain way, that it had to, to follow a certain formula. But instead, she just talked about being with God like you are in a significant relationship with somebody. And so I want to invite you to think about that. Now, I'm sorry to bring, you know, being in a significant relationship up with, with y'all on Singleness Awareness Day. Um, so if you, are, if you are single, think about a friend or a roommate. The nakedness piece may, might not play into that, but um, if you're in a significant relationship, think about what it means to be in each other's presence. That probably that relationship isn't always full of talking, and probably that relationship is not always peaceful. There's probably arguing. There's probably crying. There's probably fun. I hope there's fun if there's not. 
But prayer is sharing your life with God in the same way that you might share your life with the people in your life that you loved. And we can do this, as I said before, because God is incarnational. God is, came to us in the flesh and knows all of what it means to be human and vulnerable. And so we can have that shared life together. We can be naked with God because God was naked with us first. Now, when we hear a scripture passage like today, to, to define prayer this way makes it a lot easier. Because a scripture passage like today that says, pray without ceasing, rejoice in all things, pray without ceasing, give thanks in, in all ways, like, that just sounds like way too much work. And sort of like impossible, right? The desert mothers and fathers in the early church, they read this scripture passage literally, and they thought, how, how, how can I do this? How am I going to pray when I'm sleeping? How am I going to pray when I'm eating? Again, because they were thinking that all prayer had to be talking, right? How can I do all of this? It's impossible. And then they would assign people to pray for them while they were eating, right? Hey, Daniel, can, I'm going to be eating. Can you pray for me so that I'm continuing to pray without ceasing, right? And then, hey, I'm gonna, I need to sleep now. Uh, Eric, can you, can you pray while I sleep? It's a little ridiculous, right? But if we think about prayer as being a shared life with God, then all that we do can be prayer. Paul gave these imperatives not to frustrate people or make them feel like they couldn't live up to the job, but because a gospel life is rooted in a shared life with God. Right? And that, that living in a shared life with God brings about our rejoicing and our giving thanks and prayer. Like it, it, it all feeds each other. So prayer then can be some of the mundane things of our life. I remember when I was little, my grandmother always used to sing hymns or whistle or hum hymns while she was washing the dishes. And I thought it was like kind of cool. And now I see that she was praying, right? Um, folding laundry can be an exercise of being angry at your mate because they didn't fold the laundry. Hey, I'm married. I know how it is. Or it can be an exercise in the mundane of life and inviting God to share that with you, right? Washing dishes, the same thing. Name any household task. Do you see how sharing life with God in prayer can, can open things up? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As I've been reflecting on uh, Lent and what I want to do in Lent and how I want to... Um, grow deeper in my relationship with God. That's what Lent is for. It prepares us for the mystery of Easter. We get to sort of do some spring cleaning. As I've been reflecting on that, I realize that I live a shared life with my iPhone. That's hard to say out loud. I feel very vulnerable right now. <laughs> I want to just give you an example of a story. The other day I was, uh, this is a surprise, I was in a coffee shop and um, I was meeting somebody for a one-on-one -on -one conversation, and there was a long line, so I, w I was waiting in the line, and of course, what I did was take out my phone, because I am a very busy person, and I have to be productive in all moments. Productivity, 
right? Now, 15 years ago, if I would have been in a line, I would have looked at the coffee shop. I would have delighted in the baby, you know, cooing in the corner. I would have seen the young couple in the coffee house that was in love and smiled and thought about how awesome love is. Would have done all these things, right? But instead, I'm busy and I need to be productive. And so I grabbed my phone and I checked my email because that is a productive thing to do. And then I looked at some of the messages I had and then it was time I went and looked on Facebook because, you know, you got to keep up. <laughs> and then it just gets worse. And then I decided to look at the stock market because apparently that really affects my life. <laughs> and then, this is embarrassing, and then I decided to look at my Nest thermostat app because I really needed to know that it was 68 degrees in my house for some reason. And then I think I went on Twitter. And then I was like, what do I do now? I've run out and the line is still... You know, isn't that ridiculous, you all? In the name of productivity, we have these little phones that we carry around that waste our time. And prayer is not a productive thing. It is not something that, uh, that at the end of prayer, like, great, now I can answer emails faster or write better lesson plans or in input data more efficiency. Prayer is not productivity, but it's transformational, right? And so in that moment, I confess to you that I chose to be unproductive under the faux idea and reasoning of productivity instead of living a life of shared life with God. So one of my Lenten disciplines, I mean, I, it'd be nice to just chunk the phone, but that's, I mean, we do live in the world we live in but is to not try to be tethered to it in the way that I am so that I can share my life with God instead. To wait in line and delight at waiting in line or be annoyed by it and still know I'm sharing life with God in that moment, right? I want to um, share one more story, um, but before I do that, I want to ask you a question. What is one thing so I told you one thing I'm going to do. What is one thing that you can do um, this week to move you toward a shared life with God? Now, here's the deal. Before you answer that question with people, in my, when I look at my prayer life, I tend to compare it to someone like Pope Francis or the Dalai Lama, and I think, oh, girl, I do not measure up. Yeah, loser. Like, I have no hope. And so then I'm like, well, fine, I'll just continue as is, right? But I think in order to lead a gospel life toward transformation, it's these small steps. It's the one thing you can do this week that then becomes a habit. And then it's the one thing you can do after that. And the one thing you can do after that, right? Pope Francis wasn't born overnight. He wasn't made to be who, the Dalai Lama wasn't, you know, this is a lifetime of crafting and sharing your life with God, opening yourself up to that mystery. So what is the one thing you can do this week that will move you toward a shared life with God? I'm going to give you some example of ideas because in the last service I saw people like, 
maybe every night you watch Netflix till 11 o'clock. And so you say, you know what? I'm going to turn that off at 9. And then for those two hours before bed, I'm going to journal. Or maybe that sounds like a long time. Start small. I'm going to turn it off at 10.30 and journal for half an hour. That sounds better. <laughs> maybe, uh, what were some of my other ideas I wrote down? Sorry. Maybe, uh, maybe you are having a shared life with your phone as well, like me. And you say, you know what, unless, I, I'm going to check my email between 9 and 5, and then I'm going to put it away. Or, you know, 10 and 7, I, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be too controlling here. Or maybe you're going to sing while you wash your dishes, instead of getting mad at your mate for not washing the dishes. So what is one thing you're going to do this week to move you toward a shared life with God? Discuss. Remember, only one thing. So as we, 